Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be focusing a lot on changing communities from within. And today's guest is a great example of that, noticing some challenges that existed in the community for people that process information uh, differently than others, but really just everybody and understanding the need for neuroeducation, but also kind of neurological health solutions in community. You know, many people sit on the sidelines and talk about these sorts of things and others, a small few, have the courage to step up and do something about it. So today's guest, uh, you're going to want to listen up to her story and where her journeys have taken her so far and really maybe a little bit more about where they're going. So today's guest is Karen Cameron Friesen, and she joins us from probably rather frigid Winnipeg, Manitoba today. It, it is a balmy minus one, but we are expecting a ton of snow tonight. So we'll see where that takes us. <laughs> well, we can't complain too much about minus one. Oh, right now. not at all. It was minus 30 last week. Okay. All right. So we'll take it. So Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here, Mark. As I was thinking about jumping in here, who's my audience today? And I think where I just want to start is that the things we're going to cover this afternoon are going to come from a whole bunch of different places and experiences. And something's going to speak to you as an individual, as you're listening here. And for some people, that's the data that we're seeing, the results that we're seeing. Some people, it's going to be the personal stories that I tell it, that leading from within piece, love to share where my journey has taken me. For some, it's just going to stir hope. That's something that I find is such an essential element of this cognitive therapeutic piece that we work on because people have been disillusioned with the systems that exist so far and just know that there's something better. And that that's, has roots in my personal story here. So whether you're someone who has brain fog from long COVID, or maybe you're looking at specific learning inefficiencies, maybe you have kids who are struggling with academic or social success, or you're recovering from brain injury, all of those elements can work into this cognitive therapeutic piece that Mark is so familiar with. And I'm, I'm just really happy to share with you. I thought I'd start back as being a parent. I'm an educator by heart. I've done everything from preschool drop-in times to teaching university uh, composition classes. And along the road, I became a parent of two children with learning disabilities. And uh, when my son was eight years old, we ran into a very dire diagnosis. We were very familiar that he needed to have some different interventions for his personal success. And that led us down a whole bunch of paths in terms of neuroeducation and diet and exercise. But the results that we had at psych assessment just didn't look like the future that we saw for him. And that led us in a few different directions. And one of them ended up on the steps of an Aerosmith program site in Winnipeg. And now we are probably six years from that time. 
and his life has been completely transformed because of his cognitive work. This is a kid who we were told would have a future of social assistance for the rest of his life, of not being able to manage himself in a way that he could have any independence. And because of the work that we were able to do, the cognitive work that we were able to do with him, he is now on a full athletic scholarship at the local university. He's maintained it for three years, received his first A last year. (laughs) He'll work with uh, national coaches who will say, we have no idea that he had any learning challenges challenges. And that piece is completely my why. I got to be the parent of this amazing kid who got to change his future because of hard work. And I got to walk with him through that. And now that is what informs my experience in what I do professionally, because I do totally believe that uh, people have a right to learn and a right to the tools that help them change their lives. So on that small scale, whatever, what I was able to support my son through, it's my great desire to be able to provide those same opportunities for, for other people. Love it. That's, that's so well said and so important, that work. When I hear this, it's wonderful to hear, but I often wonder, what compelled you to actually take the action? Because I mean, there's a lot mm. of parents that might say, okay, this isn't available for him. So uh, maybe I'll join a support group or maybe I'll join right. a policy advocacy or policy change group. What led you down this road of actually saying, you know what? We don't have time for that. We need to do something now. Yeah. And that that is such a hard thing. And I, I think that's my personality. Honestly, I'm an advocate. I'm going to be a strong voice where voices are needed. I'm going to follow through all of those steps. And that's actually how the company that I founded came to be. It's called CK2 Inc. And we provide both the Aerosmith program, which is that cognitive therapeutic piece. Mm-hmm. But really where we started was as a homeschool collective. We have a beautiful community of talented homeschooling families in Manitoba. And that was my kids' experience. I'm a parent to five kids and could see that not all of my kids would have been successful in a traditional school setting. So I play the piano and I thought, surely we could find a choir director and I have some musically gifted kids. Surely we could get something started. And from there, we came a community of over 70 families, over 100 kids taking a bunch of different classes. Of course, that changes year to year. And especially in the last few years, that's looked a lot different. But that's just the role I've always played in my life. We need a resource. I'm just going to follow it through and make that happen. And that gave us that ability then when the opportunity came up to become an authorized site for the Aerosmith program was to kind of marry those two together and uh, and our company could provide both of those elements, allowing the most flexibility possible too. I think that's really important. We've learned that education in Canada is uh, obviously provincial, but a bit trickier than some of the other places our, that our program is provided in 90 different sites worldwide. But it seems in Canada, we really struggle to, to find the delivery methods that are going to work the best. And I'm just super thankful that, that we've found a way to be able to help people, whether they're in a public school setting, in a private school setting, if they're homeschooling, but then also we serve people who, um, are in university or have retired or are wanting to make some improvements in their job performance, all of those pieces, we just have that flexibility to respond and move with that. But yeah, I don't know. I think the answer is just, I'm determined. (laughs) 
I love it. That's great. That's great. (laughs) Surely when you're doing this work, there's got to be things that are hard, like and really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's why some people don't take that action, right? Because they they may be concerned that that might be on the other side of that action. What are some of those main frustrations that you have that you could maybe share um, for the listeners today? Keeping in mind, these could Mm. be other parents like yourself that maybe earlier on in that journey, or these could be stakeholders in the community or anywhere in between. For sure. Yeah, I think... I want to frame this around challenges as opposed to frustrations, because we're always on that kind of continuum of moving towards uh, to next steps. And, and if you get stuck focused on those, the, those pieces where it just feels like you're grinding your wheels, I could tell you that 10 years ago, I wrote to my local school division that, uh, that this program was available for my son. It was an excellent fit can you come alongside? And it's 10 years later and I, and I still don't have a satisfactory response from, from leadership there. But I think the main piece we need to think about is a shift in thinking. So you directed me to Dr. Aaron Thompson's podcast that you Mm -hmm. guys had put together earlier this summer. And he's from the U of T and occupational medicine. And he talks about prescriptions for brain health. So the same way that we think about a prescription for an ailment that you have, you can actually measure out what is best for each of these different scenarios. And then you test and you see what's the threshold for them to make change, for them to experience success for maybe in the case of brain injury, where you feel extra physical stress from it that you need to to back off a little bit. I think that is the biggest challenge right now is if I'm speaking now to leaders, to inspire leaders, we want people who can see that vision and act on it, see that vision of being able to use tools that look different and have different measures than what's been expected. And that's honestly where we kind of got stuck with in speaking with Manitoba Education. They wanted us to take our program, which is a cognitive therapeutic program, and slot it into the curricular goals by grade level. And that's actually not at all what the purpose of the program is. The purpose is to change your capacity to learn, to change your capacity to interact in these different sophisticated ways so that you can engage the curricular outcomes. And if we take that on and see that vision of progress that's possible by cognitive work, then you just opened up the world. And I'm so excited about this. I'm having spoken with experts in healthy recovery from brain injury to know that those things that we do in our classroom space around mind and movement, around exercise, around uh, self-reflection and tracking, and then paired with that cognitive work that it can result in these amazing gains is just so super powerful. And that's what I want on my team. I want leaders who see that we can apply this in a school setting. We can apply this in a therapeutic setting. We can be an inner city youth organization that sees the opportunity for improved mental health by doing cognitive work. And then take on the responsibility of it. I enjoy having these conversations, but I need people who want to act and want to move forward. And the reality is, as a parent, 
if I hadn't acted and if I hadn't made, uh, hadn't sent my son and then made this program available. So now that my daughter can attend, Mm -hmm. if I hadn't done that, they would have missed out on this opportunity. And as much as it's, it's hard and you want systematic change, sometimes you just have to take that first step. I have an MA in literature and you have to, in some ways, suspend disbelief. You have to if you're if you're willing to look at the, at the numbers, if that's convincing for you, fantastic. If you're more motivated by story, maybe this is this is the element you need. Suspend disbelief and try a different approach. A different approach can make such a oh, world. Oh, please, please, hold on, hold on. This is mm-hmm. a really interesting topic that has never come up on this ah, podcast. So expand me. a bit more on what you mean by that. Not just from a literary perspective, but in mm-hmm. practice. What do you mean by that? Please, please, please expand. So we, uh, so I talk about my son a lot for this one. He goes to the gym and he has a workout routine. He's doing bicep curls, bicep curls, bicep curls. Makes him strong, does not look like football. He's a defensive lineman. Bicep curls do not look like what he does on the field. When he gets on the field, his game is infinitely changed. His ability changes because he did that work. So if that's that cognitive piece, I have a parent who comes and my daughter can't read. She can't focus in class. I can't make it happen. And I have her sit down and she's going to visualize symbols in her head for 40 minutes. Does that look like reading? No, not at all. Is she is going to read a clock for 40 minutes at a time? Does that look like reading? No, not at all. This young girl who on assessment, she was laying under the table at the break. She was running up the tree and climbing the tree in an unsafe way. She just didn't have that executive function piece to engage where she is. This girl with two years of part-time work is now reading chapter books and mastered the highest level Mm. of our most difficult activity and as the youngest Canadian female ever. And her life is just infinitely changed because of that. And her parents, if they had sat there and said, well, this doesn't look like reading recovery and where's the phonics piece? Oh, yeah. That would not have worked for her, right? And even in the realm of how does listening to music that increases the theta wave production as you have a relaxation activity, how on earth does that change my kids' ability to to understand social situations? Mm. Mm-hmm. It's all there. It's and and we know these things. It's just we need to put them all together in order for people to to really see that change. And in some ways, it's magical, right? Like th- these people are healing because of this work. But we're just so reticent as a society to suspend disbelief and actually try things that don't look like popping a pill or having an EA scribe for you or whatever, doing exercises or having your physio do some kind of exercise with you once a month. Like there's so much richness to what we know about brain health, what we know about what makes a a good quality life. Let's recognize that and provide options for people so that they this, can do these this things. This is what it's all about. I oh, mean, yeah. It's really interesting. And thank you yeah. for that description yeah. of what you mean by that concept. <laughs> and we come across it as you get more exposed to this sort of work yeah. that seems to not 
have some level of transfer into capacity, but it actually mm-hmm. has everything to do with the transfer of capacity. Yeah, no, that's, sure. that, that's the challenge, right? I remember at uh, uh, one of the first kind of new, I think one of the second or third neuro rehab conferences I went to at U of T with Barbara and with mm-hmm. Howard. And um, I recall uh, sitting at a table with, I believe, Norman Deutsch as well. And I'm thinking to myself, just be quiet. There's a lot of smart people around <laughs> you here. <laughs> be, be careful. And I remember Torkel Klimberg, um, who's the founder of, of what, one of the best kind of uh, neuroplastic uh, cognitive rehab programs. I'm biased. I'm an Aerosmith fan. So are you, I think. But yeah, Barbara's absolutely. kind of one of my uh, favorite people on earth. She's amazing. But Klimberg's on the same kind of neuroplastic side mm. of the of the compensatory versus neuroplastic argument. And the other mm. fellow on the other side of this, this academic debate was Professor Owens from Western. Ontario. And one of his uh, concerns about any sort of cognitive training was that people that engage in these sorts of programs tend to to get better at the task, Mm. but that task improvement doesn't usually transfer into Hmm. life. And I remember listening to this because it's one of the first kind of academic debates where I was there in person listening to it. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that as I'm listening to these two folks, you know, argue about this, was exactly what you're talking about. It was, okay, maybe some of these programs really don't. Maybe some of them actually don't do that. And okay, that may be. But what if some do? What does that mean? How does that change the color of the lens in your glasses, right? How could you see the world if these things that you're talking about could transfer into a person and their activities of daily living, meaning if somebody could improve their brain's capacity to bring in information, process information, and express information in a way that would enable them to shop independently. Mark, those are the parents that are in tears that are speaking with me. I had one mom who had an adult student, uh, had lots of social anxiety, lots of just behavioral issues and was kind of in that difficult in-between place, graduated from high school, but yet community supports weren't going to look great for him. And he obviously needed it. And after a few months in our program, actually, it may have been a few weeks for him, she said, he got up from the table, he put his dishes in the dishwasher and put away every single condiment in the fridge. And Mm -hmm. she was in tears. Mm -hmm. that had never happened in their household before. And it's just even those little things, even those little incremental changes. So if you're listening as a leader, there is a financial component to this. If my kid had stayed Mm -hmm. at a grade six level for the rest of his life, requiring social supports, financial social supports, I don't know what the numbers are, hundreds of thousands of dollars, approaching a million over the course of his life, or you could invest in cognitive work. And now I have a contributing member of society. He still needs supports. Many of our students do need supports beyond here, but have so much more capacity, so much more ability to enjoy their life, to be able to have reflective conversations, to be able to have self-awareness. And maybe even it's on the 
social emotional side, we've been able to show, and this is the powerful piece of what Barbara Aerosmith's work has done is had 40 years of data to be able to track and show that there are changes for individuals because of the work that they do. And it's even on that social emotional side. If you can work on that ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes or handle multiple things at once, and you're mm -hmm. not having to question yourself at the all of the time. Can you imagine what, how that would reduce anxiety and just make you happier? And that's often what our families are saying to us is my kid's just happier. <laughs> same, same uh, adult student. His mom was like, I hear him singing in his room. He's never sung before. And you can just hear the joy from that piece like that. And the measurableness of that too. Uh, yeah. It really makes me think about the work of Carol Dweck. It makes me think about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And then also acknowledging that, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, wonderful and it makes everybody want to sing from the mountains. However, it's not easy. And, you know, to look at a metaphor, if you look at any high performing athlete like your son, it takes mm -hmm. all those hours with focused training, yeah. you know aimed at improving that specific area will, will, that will then yield better performance in whatever activity that we're looking to actually be really successful in. It takes those hours of focused yeah. effort to do that. And what I find completely, I find it really interesting is over the years, well, actually, I, I still, I still find it frustratingly interesting. How about that? Someone like Barbara Aerosmith Young and others who are innovators are often criticized by researchers due to lack of sample size, due to lack of peer reviewed evidence, due to lack of randomized controlled trials. And, you know, I hear that argument. However, in, in the case of some of these innovators, and especially for sure with someone like Barbara Aerosmith Young, it's not because she didn't want to. There has to be will, right? There no, has to be community. She was too busy doing the work. <laughs> oh, That's the beauty of her. She was sure. sitting there in the trenches doing the work. And she yes. has, like you said, you're so right. She has 45 years of data, but yes. it's not necessarily RTC data. It's yeah. real world data. And I yes. think that's really important. You know, mm. as some may call that, you know, more of a qualitative data set. Call it whatever you want. Um, mm -hmm. You've got lives that have been transformed and you have real life research examples out there everywhere. And Barbara's taken it one step further to do research with good universities like University of Southern Illinois, uh, many different university institutions um, in Australia, New Zealand, in Spain, and even here in Canada at, at the University of British Columbia. The evidence is too rich now. And I feel like, like you said, in our communities, I think it takes a, a, a movement to, to expect more yes. of our systems uh, yes. that, you know, the brain can change. These things do take time. So we have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that, but we, we, we can expect a little bit more. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, we are just talking about the temperature in Winnipeg, and I think that that's a bit of the vision for our little province over here of uh, not necessarily being ahead of the curve. And I just want us to take this on. I think if Manitoba, if we can demonstrate that we can make cognitive work work for 
people in our community. Like what an amazing sample size of a million or so people. And then to be able to say, okay, Alberta, you can do this. Okay, mm-hmm. Ontario, you can do this. I I just want those people. I want those people of action on my team who are who are ready to to make a sacrifice to do something that maybe not a lot of people know. And that's honestly what I hear a lot is how do we not know about this? Why do we not mm-hmm. know of this? Mm-hmm. People just don't want to make that effort, right? Well, and 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 maybe that's not the case. I'm going to choose to be optimistic in some cases. Okay. Maybe they don't have all the information. And that's why this podcast became what it is, is because people need education, people need information, you know, people need to hear your vision here in the community doing the work. You know, I I found that a lot here in Vancouver, we'd be doing the work and I'd talk to medical doctors, neurologists, neuropsychiatrists, neuropsychologists, you name it. And they're like, wow, I want to refer my patient there. I'm like, they're like, I just didn't know, you know, and I remember doing um, a presentation right before the pandemic kind of hit really in late February, 2020, where we were picking through some of the research and and what we're doing. And I'm just up there kind of doing my thing, talking about some of the interesting data and studies and that sort of stuff. And it was a group of physicians that we were presenting to. And, you know, at the end of the presentation, the fellow said to me and another fellow who was also presenting data on on a different cognitive assessment platform. And he said, thank you for the information, but you fail. And I was like, I now I want to know why. He says, we should know about this. We did not know about this. I did not know where to refer people. I had no clue. Yes. And I could have done better if I had known this. And I was like, whoa, I like this guy. Yes. And then I'm thinking, okay, how do we get the message out there further? Well, here's something that everybody can do that's listening to this right now. You Absolutely. can download it and you mm-hmm. can share it with whoever you feel is appropriate. That is in your power right now today. So just do it, right? Yep, agreed. I was thinking about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and how that education is that core human right. And you and I were talking about this the other day with that intent that education is to raise people from poverty to level inequality and provide an opportunity for sustainable development. And and beyond that, in 2012, our our Supreme Court said, we need to have measures to access and benefit from the service of public education. So Mm. every student needs to be able to access and benefit from public education? And what if we can give them a therapeutic tool that allows them to better engage, to improve their life, right? Back to uh, Dr. Thompson, he finds so much life satisfaction measure increase by people who are able to do work, whatever that looks like. So what if we could give that gift to all of these people? I want to be a part of that. I want to run with that. I think the risk is too great not to. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what I think. But we also have to acknowledge that as you've learned and we continue to learn together, moving change is, is not easy. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of very focused effort to do that. So it's, it's going to take teamwork. It's going to take many people working together, pulling the rope together on a similar cadence to move the needle. And that's what we're doing. We're holding the line here. We're, uh, we're providing a service that benefits people right now that you can walk in our door and expect to receive thoughtful insight and practical work. Uh, In my history as a pianist, 
I would have people say, oh, I could have done that level. <laughs> no problem. There are lots of people that were more gifted than me, but I put in the work, I put in the time and, mm-hmm. and knowing that this program involves that gift of time, that gift of effort, that gift of engagement in order to see the change. We do so much talking about that in our classroom, about how it's about peak performance. As much as I'm not an athlete, the concepts of how you have to mentally prepare and get your body in place and give yourself breaks and take care of things. Those are all key capacities that you need for success in this work. But you get this beautiful piece at the end. We're kind of at a place now where a number of our students are getting ready to return out of our transitional setting into a, a more typical school setting. And it's so wonderful to to reflect on how much change has taken place so that they're ready and they're ready to go um, with these measurable outcomes and with these qualitative pieces and change of life so that they're so much differently prepared to to head back into the education system again. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that's, that's the point. And a lot of the time, you know, sometimes I remember when I worked in the education side, I remember looking at how do we measure a successful outcome in our province? And it's a dogwood graduation diploma. And maybe we need to revisit that. And I think we are, I think here in British Columbia, I'm going to give uh, British Columbia a shout out and a kudos because I think they're really trying to move towards focusing more on inquiry and more on deconstruction of issues from different elements. And I think that's really cool. And I think it's exciting because that's part of what makes IB programs sort of interesting, right? Is you, mm-hmm. is you could deconstruct an earthquake from different areas to try to better understand it, how math works into the everyday world, how physics works, how, you know, literature works and how geography works, all these sorts of elements in a real world. And of course, what that does is that is then brings context to the learning, which I think is quite helpful, well, very helpful for all of us. Lots of exciting things happening in education. I'm really, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it and, and hope that we can contribute a way for more people to be successful for sure. Well, I think you already are. I mean, you're humble, but I think you already are definitely doing that. And, and your children are a great example. They're a prime example of that. So kudos to you. You can give yourself a pat on the back for that. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Thanks very much. Mark. You know, it's true. And so as you think about the work you're doing, at CK2 and, you know, your current, but also your future plans. What are some of the main influences that helped you to, to get to where you've gotten to? I have a good list here. Um, but I would say I, I spend a lot of time kind of protecting what kind of influences I'm, I'm allowing in. I think Mm. sometimes we can just get overwhelmed with all of the possibilities there are, and, and that, will keep you from action. So I've narrowed down four here, I thought to share with you. First being, of course, Barbara Aerosmith-Young. She's brilliant and tenacious and has that grit. Having Mm -hmm. done this particular work for only, this is year four, how on earth did she do this for 40 years? I'm not sure (laughs) when faced with all of these challenges. What an amazing woman. I am so thankful for her and her example and, and glad to make this contribution to the work. So as she's down in the trenches, that's maybe less my skill set, but being able to 
to hopefully motivate and inspire and lead the way, that's the piece that I want to contribute. And and I love to see this, like having been part of some of the organizations she's been working in for the last few years to, to see what you're doing, Mark. Like that's such a key piece to be able to have this podcast where that someone can click share and and have access to this thinking like that that's huge maybe not her skill set but how mm-hmm. amazing that you're coming alongside in that regard mm-hmm. too so yeah she's absolutely one James clear if uh James when you listen yeah. to this come <laughs> see us because his, the root of his atomic habits was in a brain injury right like he had to by incremental steps make change and we know that there are some amazing things that can happen even after that acute phase of brain injury that mm-hmm. uh, could be amazing. So appreciate him and those little pieces, those little moves that you can make for success. Chris Doe, he is a straight talk business marketing guy. Sometimes I just need that. That's not a skill set for me and love to follow along with what he's up to. But the fellow I wanted to talk about the most today, uh, Dr. Bill Winston, he is a former fighter pilot, an IBM marketing executive, and currently leads a church in the Chicagoland area. But what he did 20 years ago was found a business school, and this, it's the Joseph Business School, accredited business school. The intent of the school was to eradicate generational poverty. And the school is now in 10 countries and five continents. And as of this last year, tuition is completely covered by donors. So he had a vision and he acted on it. And that is something he's He's achieving now. And then uh, another vision of his to turn jails into boarding schools. And practically what this has meant in the Chicago area, they are providing tech-based training to people under house arrest. So whether it's coding or web design or whatever, they are finding ways to reach these people. Like two amazing visions. Mark, could you imagine if we could add cognitive programming to what he's doing. What if in um, the Reman Center in Manitoba, people do 40 minutes of symbol yeah. relations work yeah. and make a change in their life? Like, let's make these things happen. Let's I mean, it it's, happen. yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I've got uh, to be careful how I say this. So I've chatted with a entity in maybe in our country that is responsible <laughs> for some of that work. Right. And- a remarkable researcher out there, Dr. Angela Colantonio at University of Toronto, has done a lot of work in studying brain injury and corrections. And as I think about that population, you know, many, there's been many studies out there looking at the rate of brain injury and just cognitive mm. dysfunction in well, that and population. And even learning disability is that's what I mean. Yes, it's massive. Yep. But how does that influence decision making? Yes. Right. Absolutely. So yep. And then how high is the reoffending or recidivism rate yes. in corrections is extremely high. Okay. Yep. Well, what does the rehabilitation look like? It's compensatory. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So is it trial by choice? Okay. And then is it fixed mindset? Are you saying we're probably not going to maybe? So hmm. there's a great opportunity to disrupt that population because yeah. it's not working in a lot of cases. And maybe there's yeah. a way to change that a little bit that could work for everyone uh, a little for bit sure. better, maybe. So, well, and even, um, following along with is a teen challenge in Australia, in Tasmania, Australia, that is using some elements of this cognitive programming in their work. And 
there was just recently uh, some comments from one of their students that similar to the, the young girl who is now reading chapter books here and had mastered the highest level of um, the executive function piece that we work on, this fellow in the Teen Challenge program had done the same. And he just describes how his life is completely different because he now has that ability to understand cause and effect, to be yeah. able to be reflective. There are so many, <laughs> we all have inefficiencies, right? If I can't find the right size of Tupperware, it just doesn't affect my life in a huge number of ways. But if I have two or three or four things and they start to pile up, they just result in some drastic life changes. And mm-hmm. honestly, we, we, yesterday was a tough day here at the office. <laughs> we had a couple of students who are just having really rough days and it, and it makes so much sense to be able to be part of their life and to be coaching them through these pieces while they're doing their cognitive work. So when the stakes are low, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not the police officer at the door for something that that happened that shouldn't have. I'm the caring instructor who's going to be walking beside you, but also making sure that you understand your actions have consequences. And how much more can we do that if we put the power in the in in people's hands to be able to make these changes on their own? Because it is it's not about the teaching; it's about the student engagement with. The program itself that makes the change. If we can give them those tools so that they can access and benefit from the service of public education or from the having the job or from having relationships that are rich and and enrich their lives, let's do it. Let's get this mm-hmm. in people's hands. Yeah, I think so. And it, I think, you know, it comes down, to, I, I hear this frequently and it's a real theme in the work both of us do, but I've, I've heard it so much. And the way I like to phrase it is everybody's worthy of a challenge. Yep. And it, and it's deeply upsetting and disappointing to me when we accept, Oh, they got a learning challenge. So let's just, let's just adapt the curriculum. Let's make it easier. Let's not even give them the try first. You know, it's just, nah, let's simplify it. You know what? We're going to pull you out of the classroom. You're going to work in the hallway and you're going to work on grade one stuff. And, and, you know, and what does yeah. that lead to when you talk about the human rights implications? Right. What does that lead to, right? Yeah. It, it's a further burden on all others involved. And it also really impacts the self-efficacy of that individual. Don't underestimate. Yeah. Uh, not that we can necessarily always maybe in real time measure that for that individual. But I believe every human is, is deserving of that opportunity for that Absolutely. challenge. If they're unwilling to, to take advantage of that, then okay. But sure. Uh, you have you to know, have that choice. Right? Yeah. Yep. I think of a student who joined us, and, and that tends to be our strength here. We maybe don't have the typical profile of student as kind of our core base of students here. We have students that that have difficulties across the board, but we still see possibility for them. And I'm just thinking of a young guy who came into our program about three years ago and he was only able to write the first letter of his name. That was the only symbol he could make. He couldn't physically make another symbol on his own. And he is currently able to do copy work. He is able to identify numbers from zero to 60. His language skills have improved immensely. His memory has improved immensely. His life is so much richer because he's putting in the work. He's the kid who's reminding everyone else to to get to work and be focused. Like 
that's just huge. His life is different because he was willing and his family was willing to make this happen. So cool. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love those stories. That's the best. That's what it's all about. Yep, so. absolutely. So if people are listening here. They're pumped. They may be in Manitoba. <laughs> they may not be in Manitoba. They For may sure. be a parent. They may be an educator. They may be somebody in government. How do they get a hold of you? And how do they learn more about what you're doing in your mission? We are CK2 Inc. INC.com. You can find us there. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. You can find us any of those places. Always love to show off what we do, whether it's just an informational meeting or if you want to come for a site visit for us, we have a fully online virtual classroom. So you actually don't need to be in the Winnipeg area, which is probably helpful at this time of year. Yeah. And we're happy to to show you what we're about in that regard too. And we're always sending out invitations for, for leaders, for people who are just interested in cognitive health to come by and check it out. Cause you never know when those seeds that you plant are going to sprout out. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Totally agree. Well, thank you again for all that you're doing. You know, surely many lives have been, you know, positively impacted because of the opportunities that you've provided. And I think it's so cool that it started with your own family, as it often does. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing to support your work and what you're doing. And uh, hope that, you know, many people found value in this conversation. And that if it did, again, my encouragement is to is to share it. Uh, within your network and start that conversation. Because I think the more people we have discussing this issue that impacts so many in our community, the quicker that's going to lead to the conviction of of some subset of that population doing something about it and helping to to really transform our communities. Thanks, Mark. Pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. 
please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.